Hey, hey, hey. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set Podcast. This is the voice of King Mos. And as always, John Ray is putting in the good work to make sure this thing sounds amazing. As always, a little housekeeping before we start with today's awesome episode. Find us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Music, and wherever you get your podcasts. Most importantly, tell your friends, tell your DJ friends, tell your creators, or just people that just want good, good content to listen to. You can find me on Bandcamp and SoundCloud under KingMost, as well as Instagram and Twitch under HeyKingMost, H-E-Y-K-I-N-G-M-O-S-T. Find my main man, John Reyes, on Bandcamp, J-O-N-R-E-Y-E-S, and also on Twitch where he kills it every morning under Stank Palmer, S-T-A-N-K-P-A-L-M-E-R. And today's guest, I'm very, very excited to share this conversation. We have JMKM. She's a veteran of the Canadian nightlife scene, specifically, you know, Toronto. Um, you can find her DJing, well, in previous times, you could find her DJing around, doing a lot of gigs, corporate gigs, brand gigs, nightlife stuff on ISO Radio, which she started and founded with her partner, Frieza Chin. But most recently, find her on Twitch. She's just owning the game. And in this conversation, you can hear JMKM's thoughts on how her mindset adapted to COVID and her career. The first few weeks was like devastating. When I was getting all those emails, like, yeah. you know, an yeah. email every day being like, this is canceled, this is postponed, this is that. It was like dark times for the first like month. But, you know, we move. Like, you got to like move on. Life won't always go your way, but it always goes on. That's what I always say. That's my famous saying. This isn't even on some DJ shit. This is on some life shit. You know, when you go through something challenging, the quicker you can let go of like the hope that you had or the expectation that you had that your life would be a certain way, the better off you're going to be, you know? Acceptance is like the biggest thing. Accept it, move on, you know? And and know that like, I, I had to wake up every morning and tell myself in the mirror, Josephine, you are a smart, creative, resourceful, and dynamic person and you will get through this now the reason why i love that quote is because yes it's aspirational motivational but it has so much vulnerability and i'm not gonna lie like after hearing that conversation the whole podcast episode i was so motivated to go and like get stuff done there are some days where i'm just like ugh, over it or just asking and wondering like what's going on so it's kind of cool to hear someone to kind of hype you up but again put it in a context that's real and honest and legitimate and also in this conversation we talk about being a digital hoarder what it takes to start and run a radio station toronto's dj music scene and wrestling specifically the Hart family i love this conversation i mean aside from just feeling motivated and pumped to kind of get out and you know do things and send emails and texts and hustle there is a really legitimate and honest sense of community in James Cam's vision. I think for the community, for the culture, is a term that gets around a lot. It gets watered down almost to the point where it's useless. But here's somebody that's running a radio station that is a global ambassador for their city scene, always putting people on. I think that is a real community. And I think in these types of times, we need people like her and we all need to follow her example. It was just so stunning to hear her kind of share her everyday life. So shout out to her, shout out to Frieza Chin as well. And um, yes, when this all kind of goes back to normal, hopefully we get to all link up in real life. So thank you for that, JM Cam. And you can find JM Cam on all socials under her name. You can spell that J-A-Y-E-M-K-A-Y-E-M. 
And um, yeah, find her on Twitch, find her on Instagram, find her on Twitter. She's just a bright, talented person. And uh, again, I was really happy with my time with her. So there we go. King Most, John Ray's opening set podcast, and yourself. Take care of yourself and be well. Peace. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Opening Set. This is your pal, King Most, Season 4, Episode 4. As always, my man, John Reyes, riding shotgun, producing the show. And special guest, I'm pointing to you, is... JMKM. Air horn, air horn. There you go. Rewind, pull it back. Super excited. Thank you. Thank you. You've actually listened to this podcast, unlike other guests. So. <laughs> I have. Yeah. I'm a I'm a big podcast fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. I listen to like various different podcasts. What are some favorites besides opening set? Duh. Opening set, obviously. Um, what else have I listened to lately? I listen to the Business of Hype podcast, which I, I think is pretty cool. Jeff Staples thing, right? Jeff Staples one, yeah. Okay. I listen to that one a lot. What else have I listened to? Song Exploder. Man, there's so many. I'll have to let you guys know. I'll have to look at my my little podcast library because yeah. like, that's pretty much like now when I'm just have free time. I don't really listen to music to be honest in my free time. Like I I listen to music to organize it <laughs> and to like check out what's out there. But like if I just have like two hours, I'll definitely always throw on a podcast. Yeah, I feel you. Like actually, I make a very strong effort to listen to not just new music or all the records I buy, and that's like old jazz and funk. Um, it just sometimes it, do you have the feeling where it feels like a chore or overwhelming or you're kind of forcing it it's funny because in the last four months since i've had a little bit more time to myself it's brought back the like joy in that again but it definitely can feel like a chore you know especially like when you're there's so many other things going on and it's like oh man i gotta like listen to all this new music or keeping up on music I'm also really fortunate, though, because my partner is also a DJ and that is like super hack with keeping up with music because <laughs> sometimes I like, you know, we'll we'll trade and he can kind of like help me out there if I'm like behind or whatever. So, but yeah, it's a lot of work. And your partner is Frieza Chin, right? My partner is Frieza Chin. Yes. OK, I just want to make sure I, I you know, want to make sure I was right on the on the research. Yes. <laughs> but when you say the joy is coming back, can you share a little little more on that, please? Yeah, I think that like, you know, obviously the last four months have been just a crazy time. I really don't even know how to like put it into words. It's been a, a super reflective time for me. And it's been kind of like one of the first times in my whole adult life where I've actually had time to like slow down and, you know, just really have time for myself. And so I think that it's just really allowed me to connect with sort of like things that I love and do for leisure. Like I've, I've read books in the last four months. That's like something I haven't done in like years and years and years. But, you know, now with being home all the time and not having to go out and not having to run from place to place, it's easier to sort of like fit those kinds of activities. And, and I think before pre-COVID days, I had a very like hectic schedule. It just didn't really leave a lot of time for just you know, listening to music for fun or just going through my music library for no other reason besides just wanting to see what was in there. You know what I mean? So that's been a blessing for sure. I actually had time to cut down my library, which was something I've been wanting to do for years. And then in the early kind of days of this, I took, it was like a full six days pretty much that I took and I cut it down from 35,000 songs to just under 20,000. 50,000 tracks got the boot. What was the process <laughs> for you to do that? Because that's something 
I've been wanting to do organization is something that, you know, we would love to all be more organized with all the music we need. Well, yeah. How do you do it? Because I would love to know. Man, so file management, I feel like is one of the under, like, it's not really talked about as one of like the greatest pains of what we do, like managing your files and just like figuring out how not only organize your library, but like, what do I need on my computer? Or like, am I going to have an external drive? Am I going to have this or that? Like, how do I back things up? What's the process for that? Like that for me, I never heard any DJs really talk about that when I was getting started. But for me has been one of like the most massive pain points. But when I was doing the chop, what I basically did is I went back to the beginning of my library. So, and I use iTunes, which they're good and bad. But I think because I was already using iTunes as like my music player for a lot of years before I even got into DJing, because I kind of got into DJing a little bit later, which we can talk about. But yeah, so I went back as far as I could in my iTunes back to like whatever, 2008 or what the earliest song is Ooh, that's in there. Which was what, by the way? Okay, so the first song it's actually a really, really funny first song. It's Rebby Jackson's Centipede. Oh, that's like Michael Jackson related, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the first MP3 in my library, which is so random. Yeah, very random. Um, okay, so continue. <laughs> that stayed, that, that stayed, by the way. I did, it didn't get the boot. Okay. The first thing I did is I went back and I took all the old like albums that I had because it's so different now the way people consume music. It's like we used to buy CDs and rip them to our computer and then like listen to the whole album. Whereas like now you just go on your streaming service and listen to your one song you want to listen to. Or as a DJ, you maybe like find those couple tracks. But I had a whole bunch of just like straight albums from like the days when I used to buy albums on iTunes or whatever. And so I moved all of those off to an external drive with the exception of songs I maybe thought I wanted to like keep and play. So that took quite a while. That took like two days just moving albums off. And then it's not just moving them off and like dumping them either. There's like another side of it where you're actually organizing the external drive as you go. So that takes up some time. So I moved all the albums off and then I went through and found all the doubles, which is another, like we could probably do a whole podcast on just finding doubles in your life. Yeah, is there a script for that? Or you got to do that one by one? So in iTunes, again, I'm an iTunes person. There is a thing that you can find doubles, but it doesn't work perfectly. Like it will find with the same file name. But if there's triples in there that have like, you know, a different file name, you got to manually find those. So that took a while. And then the third phase <laughs> was I just went through and deleted like stuff that was like, top 40 kind of stuff or stuff that I just knew that I would never really play again. Yeah. Yeah. So when you open your laptop, say the first few times the DJ was just like, mm -hmm. did you have kind of like, Oh, things are a little different. I don't know yet. Or you just like heater, 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 no chud in the, in the way or what's up? I think I still have some work to do in the library. I would love to get it down to like 10,000 songs. Like realistically, I feel like I should be able to DJ with 10,000 songs. <laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. Sounds so ridiculous, but yeah. yeah, it's getting there. I feel like it feels a lot better now when I open it and it's like a little bit more, you know, streamlined when I'm looking at it. It's not so like crazy, but I don't know. I've been thinking a lot lately about digital hoarding as DJs, obviously, because we're kind of one of the only people that still need like a file for something, you know, like an MP3 file. So I've been thinking a lot about that because I'm like, now I just have hard drives of stuff, of music and photos and like things like, am I ever going to look at those again or should I just burn them? Who knows? Even with the organization of Serato, like I did that real quick, but I stopped halfway through. I'm like, oh, fuck it. Like I'm at 100, I'm at the 116 BPM. Uh, you know, I don't care. But yeah, yeah, a lot of like 
bad Katy Perry remixes from my bottle service days. Like that shit. I'm right. not going to, I take pride in knowing I'm out of that world. And I could just toss that. And like, I'm doing this thing where I don't even like digitize a lot of like samples anymore for my record collection. If I have the record, mm. I'll keep it. And I just like rip it from Spotify. There's this thing DJ C flow made where you could download anything from Spotify at 320 right away. So yeah. I'm just doing that dude. Like I, why not? Yeah. I mean, I like you it. have the tools are there for things like that. You know what I mean? And like, you have the record, you have the satisfaction of knowing like, yeah, I have that. I have that sample. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to like, <laughs> it's not a satisfaction as I look over at my record wall thing, expedite. It's just at this point it's usefulness and yeah. what less clutter in the way. Um, totally. Like, I made an edit of Jumpin' Jumpin' by Destiny's Child. I ripped the acapella off of YouTube. I think it's a 320. I know some DJs are gonna be like, rolling in their grave or in their bed or whatever, but it's like, no one cares. Mm -hmm. It sounds fine to me. And like, honestly, like, I'm just like a bedroom producer DJ dude. Like, it doesn't need to be sounding like an IMAX or some crazy shit. It's about totally. having purpose or whatever, so. Yeah, and like, we're not all playing at Ministry of Sound every weekend, you know well, what I mean? I like, not. <laughs> Yo, if Ministry Sound ever books me, I'll be like, yo, is this over? Because you don't need me fucking playing my, I don't know, my TLC Ariana Grande blend. <laughs> no, it is fire. It is better than anything. For sure. I would love to see it. I would love to see you playing at Ministry of Sound. But you know what I mean? Like, we're not all playing <laughs> at these, like, we're yeah. not all playing at these, like, massive clubs with, like, $500,000 sound systems. Like, we don't need, that's, yeah. that's how I feel anyways, you know? Yeah, so if you have a problem, come. I'll send all hate mail to me. Uh, yeah. out, like, you know, I'm like, <laughs> one twenty eight and lower, please. No, no, high. <laughs> no, that's it. Um, but you were talking about the you know pre COVID days and how you started later. I was on your site, and you mm -hmm. said you started in twenty fifteen. Okay. Yeah. What was the musical landscape in twenty fifteen? Because that is five years ago. But internet time that is like a fucking lifetime. Where were you at that made you say, okay, I'm jumping in the ring? Well, I'd always been, you know, around a lot of DJs. I grew up in Calgary, which is a smaller city. I don't know if you guys have ever been there or heard of it, but we've heard of it. <laughs> <That's the> Bret <laughs> Hart. Yes, Bret the Hitman Hart. Oh my god, I grew up with his kids. No, um, John, jump in, <laughs> Oh, hello, you guys. So, <laughs> John, the big wrestling guy. So, yeah. I have to go on this tangent to tell the story, but like my ex in Calgary is also a DJ. He was competing in the Red Bull three style and he got a drop. We got him a drop from Bret Hart. It's like the sickest drop ever. He's like, Bret Hart says like, you're listening to DJ Cizik. He's the best DJ there is, the best DJ there was, and the best DJ there ever will be. And it was so funny because when we were asking his son, who I grew up with, we were like, hey, would it be cool? Like we explained to him what it was for. We're like, he's doing this DJ competition and like, it would be cool to get a drop from your dad. And he was like, okay, cool. Like, what do you want it to say? And we were like, it would be cool for him to say like the best there is, the best there was somehow, but like no pressure, you know, like it's a lot to ask. Like if he can just say his name. And then uh, when he sent it back, it was like that. Everybody loved it. It's funny, like battle DJing. It's about showmanship. You know what I mean? And like, there's a lot of like parallels there with wrestling. So everyone loved it. I'll send it to you, John. I'll send you the the set is up and you can hear the the drop. It's pretty cool. I think that's probably one of the most like badass drops that you can have, really. That is pretty cool. I mean, just what he said, it could have been like anybody, but like it's Brett the Hit My Heart, who to what you said, this like global icon. It's like icon, oh, shit. yeah. Like this isn't just like, yo, this is Kanye West. This is like, no, this is Brett the fucking Hitman Heart. Brett the Hitman. And the fact that he's from Calgary too, and that was the city that, you know, Seasick was representing in the competition. It's very, very cool. Oh my God, you're wearing a dungeon shirt. Okay, 
I'm I just realized crying. it. Yo, that's so crazy. I love that. Uh, for yeah. the listeners, uh, aka me, what is dungeon? <laughs> <laughs> okay, does John want to take this one? No, whoever, either y'all. Okay, so the dungeon is basically like the Hart family. So there's Bret Hart. They come from a huge family of like wrestlers. And the dad, his name was Stu Hart. He's no longer around. But he had this training facility in their house in the basement called the dungeon. And it's where like all the big wrestlers in the 90s would have trained. Like literally everybody. I mean, but yeah, there's Bret Hart, Owen Hart, who passed away in like a tragic accident wrestling. And then they had like, there was 12 siblings and they were all into wrestling. And then the sisters, Bret Hart's sisters who weren't wrestlers, they all married wrestlers. Oh, man. So they like his sister married like Davy Boy Smith, like British Bulldog. Yeah. Whoa. Right. Okay. <laughs> I know Dude, so much about wrestling. That's tight. Okay. Cause see, John is a wrestling aficionado. I being his roommate and I have other friends that are into wrestling and I, you know, I grew up on it, but it's fascinating. Like how it's become fascinating. this respected art form now. It always was. Mm -hmm. It don't get me wrong. But yeah, it's now like seen as like this, these are real people and there's art yeah. and storylines and all that stuff. So I mean, I think wrestling is also peak eighties and nineties American entertainment culture. You know, like it just speaks to like a certain time that the world was in and but it's still really big now. Like I look and I see like what is it they do fucking i don't even know the names of the thing the big wrestling things that they do they're always like sold out i'm like this wrestlemania is still, like, thing. <laughs> wrestlemania that's it <laughs> wrestlemania but yeah anyways so calgary okay that's, and Hart. that's where you're from <laughs> that was so. the tangent i went on yeah so i'm from calgary i started going out really young like 16 i was not supposed to be in the club but i was going out to parties so many great parties back then that was kind of like pre-social media era um, we had small town DJs who are like legends and they've done so much for the scene out there. They've had their own store. They had their own club. Like they were just like the coolest. Yeah. At the time it was like electro is what we used to call it. And like mashups and that kind of world. So started going out, watching them. And then of course, like in hip hop, we have DJ Pump who is like. Oh, shout out guy. Pump. Yeah. So Man. I've known him since I was 16 uh -huh. going to his club nights. So I was very exposed to like great DJs from early, you know, and, you know, me and Cisa got together. And then I was just like, always really in that world, like, working the door and like, promoting and selling tickets and doing all that stuff. So I got kind of got to learn that side of DJing and nightlife, like before I even got in it. I just never really thought that I myself would ever DJ. I think like, coming up exposed to like, all of those guys, like, a lot of like, turntablism like headspin scratch basket all those guys like i met them from years ago and that was like the standard to me of like a dj and i was like i just never thought that i would do that or thought that i could do it or really even wanted to like i just didn't really want to be a turntablist <laughs> it's all love i love it but like it just never struck me as something i was into and then in 2014 is when me and seasick split up so that was kind of like another barrier in a way, I think, of me wanting to get into DJing because it was like his thing, you know, like and he was really entrenched in that world. And it just never really crossed my mind that I would do it, you know, when we split up and I kind of realized that I was sort of like missing that part of my life because it had been a part of it for so long. Like I was always like working the door and selling tickets and doing like promoting and really helping him with that side of his business 
And I was like, damn, I, I miss that. I miss like being in the club. I miss like, you know, hanging out in the DJ booth and like being part of that vibe, you know, and like watching people react to songs and like all that stuff we love about DJing. I wasn't doing it myself, but I was definitely like exposed to it. And also at the time in 2014 is when SoundCloud was like really popping. And I started discovering all these DJs who were like making amazing mixes that were just about like vibes, you know, like no tricks. And I was like, okay, cool. Like that's something that sort of like speaks to me more. And so in October of 2014, me and Seasick were moving out of the place that we shared. I used to like play around a little bit with his gear at home and stuff, but nothing too crazy. But when we were moving out of our place that we shared, he gave me like an old mixer that he had. I still have it. It's the Rain TTM 56. That's still like a solid ass mixer. Like, wait, Yo, it, I'm thinking like it's the black one, right? Yeah, it didn't even have Serato built in. It was just a straight mixer. It was really popular among like a lot of the um, DJ like, nerds, battle like, guys. and turn yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think people used to love the fader. Like it was good for mm -hmm. scratching. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, yeah, why don't you take this mixer? And he's like, if you ever decide you want to like, you know, have a DJ set up at home just to play records, like you'll have one. And I was like, cool. I still have that mixer. It still works. <laughs> And I think at the time, you know, I was going through this big change in my life. Like I was kind of just like looking for ways to like busy myself. You know, I was like working out like crazy. Then I learned to knit. <laughs> I like, you know, I was just like, doing the most because I was just, yeah, trying to occupy myself. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to get like some turntables. Went on Kijiji and found like super cheap pair. And I it was crazy because like right before I went to meet the guy, I realized I was like, I don't actually even know enough about these to know if they're like good. Yeah, I'll be able to know if they turn on, but like just little things. I was like, how do I know if like the tone arm is good or how do I know if like the pitch control is like working? So I was like, fuck. So I called up my boy, DJ LV. He's another like long time, like more club DJ in Calgary. He was playing, doing all the bottle service and all that kind of stuff. And he came with me to meet this guy on Kijiji and it, we got there and like it was like this like 15 year old kid who oh. was selling them Nick and Mike. I was like <laughs> <laughs> shout out Nick Mike I had to shout that. out Nick we love Nick yeah yeah, we, um, we do. yeah yeah it was like this 15 year old kid and I was like where did you get these turntables like are they stolen like what's going on and he was just like my older cousin gave them to me I remember he like scoffed he's like yeah he's like I don't know 35 now or something <laughs> like he was so old he's like he's like 35 Whoa, years old 35 like, Kill yourself, yeah. bro. It's over. and then he, he's like so I'm just gonna sell these turntables of his and like buy a controller and I was like okay so I bought them off him for $900 for the pair Canadian which or US Canadian which is Ooh. like a super steal yeah for sure and then yeah I just started like playing around at home I, I honestly at that point didn't think I was gonna be a DJ. I'm doing air quotes right now. I just was like, you know, this could be a cool like hobby and a way for me to appreciate music and to experience music and to like, you know, express my musical tastes. I made a couple of mixes and just like quietly put them on SoundCloud because again, that was like a thing that was happening. And back then, the like organic reach on SoundCloud was like ridiculous. Yeah, preach to the choir. Like I miss those days. Though I hate the gamifying of metrics. But at the time when we're, like, we're all like naive and like, oh cool, this isn't Z share. To get like, yeah, like wake up one morning with like forty thousand plays on like a yeah. edit, like, whoa, like, yo, mom, we're, we're pack it up. We're going to Hollywood, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I had a couple mixes on there that got to like twenty to thirty thousand plays. Nice, nice. And I was like, oh, okay, people like I don't suck. 
people like this. Are they still up? They're not up anymore. Oh, they got the takedowns. Yeah, yeah. they got taken down. Would you still stand by those mixes today? I still have them. I still have the files. One of them actually is pretty good. Like I listened to it kind of recently and I was like, oh, this is not bad. It's definitely sounds like that era. It's a lot of like, quote unquote, SoundCloud like type stuff. Like Tina Shea, R&B remixes. And- exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like Kate Tronada remixes and like stuff like that. But I like it. It's cool. It's like a time capsule. Yeah, there's this like odd nostalgia. You, you're, I, I mentioned this because you're talking about the digital hoarding. And I feel mm-hmm. like every so often, obviously in our lives, there's like a new era of like things to rediscover that are like interesting again. And I think that little sweet spot, like 2012, like early SoundCloud golden era years are going to be a thing. Like I would not be surprised in a year or two. There's going to be like, oh, throwback SoundCloud night. I'd be like, yeah, totally. I want to go. Yeah, you know, I, I think that yeah. that's another thing that really drew me to DJing is just the idea that like, it kind of is like a way to document what's happening in a weird way, you know, like what's happening in the world at a certain time. And I have, again, on my external, <laughs> an external drive somewhere, like I have so many old, like crazy, like mixes from DJs who back when people used to like put them out on CD and they were all like individual tracks, like cut up into individual tracks and stuff. Like I have some that, you know, a couple of years ago on Twitter, actually, I mentioned this mix that I had like unearthed on a, a hard drive somewhere and I tagged the DJs who were part of it. One of them like hit me up and he was like, I don't even have that anymore. Like, can you send that to me and stuff like that? And I was like, that's so cool. You know, like what was the mix? JCO used to do these mix, these oh. super seven mixes. Yeah. It was like one of those. And it was like, I feel like it was DJ Illo four color Zach back when he, no one knew who he was. Sam Demo was the DJ who hit me up and was like, I don't have that. And there was one more person. But yeah, it was like one of those. And so I've I've got a bunch of those kinds of mixes. And then there was also a radio show on a Toronto radio station called Flow 93.5 that's still around that the A-team used to do. The A-team used to be like Grand Theft, Headspin, yeah, all those guys. And they used to do this weekly radio show on Flow called The Truth Mix Show. They used to put the files up for download on their blog spot or whatever the fuck they had back then. <laughs> and I would download them all. I would download them all and I would put them on my iPod Classic and like listen to them, you know? And I still have all of those. And it's such a moment in time. Like when you listen to those, you're just like, yes, like this was it in 2008, you know? Like, oh, so naive and humble. Like, oh, to put a breakbeat underneath a song and like, oh, it's Baltimore House. Right. Like, yeah, simple times, you know, now everything's so intense and, and whatnot. Right. You were speaking my language because you're talking about keeping yourself busy. I was going to do this mm-hmm. project last year and I was like buying old CDs and mixtapes from Discogs so I could digitize them all and put them up somewhere. And like, mm-hmm. I was a huge mixtape trader back in like early 2000s, like scratch stuff. And a lot of people were talking about too, like all the stuff that was on Z-Share and now it doesn't exist. It's weird. Yeah. In an era where everything is like hyper chronicled and there's you could find anything, there's this like black hole of like DJ culture that does not, and you might be a key to all that. So let's do a little. Nice we job. should talk about that. I would be yeah. down to contribute to that. I mean, I have some stuff. So yeah, and I love it. I'm, I'm a very sentimental person. I'm a saver, you know? I try to like not go too OD with it. I just like to hold on to stuff that like has some kind of meaning and. I think that those mixtapes and mixes and radio shows and all that stuff was really formative for me. 
I think social media as like fucked up as it is, it really opened my eyes, like living in a place like Calgary. Granted, we had a great local music scene, but I just loved that I could through the internet see what was happening in other places and even hear what was happening in other places. I remember just like listening to like, you know, Marvel and the freshest in Vancouver, listening to like their mixes and it having its own like vibe. I was like, these guys have their own style. That's something that I don't hear here. And that to me is still cool. I think we take it for granted, but like it's still cool. I feel the same way too. You get an idea of like a certain DJ's, not just a DJ's sound, but their city or their scenes kind of feel. So yeah. now that you're in Calgary and in Toronto, what, what would be like defining characteristics of the Toronto DJ sound? Hmm. Okay, for example, like in here in the Bay Area, a lot of people are going to do a little scratching, a little more, you know, juggling and cut in. What about Toronto? I think one thing that you always hear every DJ do here, no matter what, is play a little bit of like reggae and dance hall in literally every single set. And it's just, we have such a huge West Indian population here it's interesting like the reason behind that is is that in the you know 60s and 70s when Canada was opening up immigration there were certain places that they sort of did deals with almost to like allow a lot of immigrants and that was one region of the world where they welcomed a lot of people you know we have like Carabana which is our Caribbean festival every summer it's not happening this year obviously but that's like the biggest event like the biggest party event for us is like the Caribbean festival. It's everywhere you go, you know, like every single party that you go to, you'll probably hear like at least a 30 minute dance hall set, no matter what. And that's underground parties, mainstream parties, everything. So I think that that's definitely one of the things that I would say defines a Toronto sound. Another big one is that like, it's always been like a very hip hop city. It's the hip hop city of Canada. You know what I mean? Obviously, the biggest rapper in the world is from here. But even the like pre-Drake rappers, like the Cardinal officials of the world, like they're all from here as well. So it is like very, very hip hop-y. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've been aware of like Toronto DJs. And yeah, there's very like real hip hop. And they would always call it the New York of Canada and uh, definitely a big New York influence. and, and all Yeah, that. yeah. So. For sure. And then a lot of the like younger DJs, they're so up on their like new rap and trap shit. It's crazy. They're like so on it. And I think that that's kind of like another sort of defining characteristic, at least for like the next generation that's coming up. For me, it's kind of weird. I'm like kind of in between generations a bit. You know, Headspin and like Scratch Bassett are definitely, those are my like OGs. They're like one generation ahead. And then I kind of like float in the middle. <laughs> and then I have like all these who are much younger than me. Yeah, heavy hip hop, big Caribbean influence. There's so many great micro scenes here. So for one, Jungle and Drum and Bass has a huge following here. What's interesting about that scene is that as that music was really like developing in England in the late 80s and early 90s, it was happening in tandem with here, which is kind of like rare. Normally like something will bubble and then it'll have its time in its like place of origin and then it'll spill out. But like it was kind of happening at the same time between London and Toronto. And again, I think that's because we do have a lot of like British immigrants who live here. So I think that that's where that influence came from. But yeah, that's a huge scene. I think that in the last five years, it's, it's kind of started to like not be as big, but like, throughout the 90s and early 2000s like that was probably the biggest 
in terms of when you're talking like underground or electronic genres was definitely jungle drum and bass. We have a pretty strong techno scene here as well. And do any of these like electronic sounds, do they ever bleed over to, you know, like how every hip hop DJ, club DJ, when you go in our house set, we're going to play like Crystal Waters or like a K-Tradata mm-hmm. disclosure. Was there anything from the jungle or techno scene that would get into like the Canadian hip hop party scene or is it all pretty? Stuck? It was pretty siloed. Okay. And I think that the fact that it is so siloed and so separated, I think is like a huge disadvantage to our music scene just because Toronto is like, it's a big city. It's bigger than a lot of American cities. Whoa, but whoa. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's there's like 6 million people that live here. Oh, okay. But the actual downtown party scene is still like very small. The downtown core is only like a million people. So when people think Toronto, I think they think it's bigger than it actually is when you come here. When you come here, you realize it's like a kind of like a big small town kind of vibe. So I was born in England. I have lots of family in England. And when I go there and I see the party scene there and it's like a lot more diverse, like you will hear in a night, you'll go out in a night and you will hear like hip hop, reggae, UK funky and drum and bass all in one party. And that's not like weird. That's like norm, you know? And I think that that's like actually something that's really strong about the music scene there because it makes the audiences have more open minds. It brings communities together. It like brings people who might not normally work together or play together together. And I think that's really strong. So I I would love to see that in Toronto. And I think it's happening a little bit more. I mean... Who knows what's happening now? No one knows. But. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, See, that no one knows, I used to always think was like a scary thing, but now it could be like, yeah, no one knows. So fuck it. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. You know? There's starting to be more parties that are like a lot of different styles in one night. And I, I love that. I think that's really cool. Me and Frieza were doing a party again, pre-COVID days, very open format. The party was called In It. It's called In It because we played a lot of like UK genres, like a lot of grime, garage, funky um, a little bit of jungle drum and bass, but we would mix it in with like hip hop, American hip hop, Canadian hip hop and stuff like that. That's kind of like the thing that I'm into. I like variety. Yeah. I was going to say, looking at your credentials, like variety is such, it's really like a center of who you are. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I've known of you before via like all the Canadian homies for a long time. And then I was like, mm-hmm. and I didn't know you just started DJing. I thought you've been DJing this whole time because you're so ingrained in like the scene. So I was like, yeah. oh, oh, 2015, like that's it? I thought I've been, but yeah, I was saying, variety is such like a big descriptive term for you. So like I'm mm-hmm. looking at your stats and your credentials, you have creative consultant, you have, you know, a DJ, you have ISO radio, you have Bear mm-hmm. Selection as a label. I want to ask about all these things individually, but sure. is there like a hierarchy or do you kind of manage how people perceive and what's more important and what's less important? Or are you just kind of like, I'm just doing these things and then how are the public perceives me as how they'll do it? Or because I think mm-hmm. that's, I mean, it's awesome. I just like, wow, that's a lot. So yeah, it's a lot. And I mean, I think that I'm genuinely interested in all those things I'm doing. And I just never wanted to like not do something that I wanted to do. (laughs) It sounds so simple, but like, I think that we can also overthink things a lot as especially creative people are crazy overthinkers. Me and John are pointing at each other. Yeah, we're pointing at ourselves. Yeah. And I think that that's good in a way. It's good to be able to like look at a situation and be like, this is how this could go and that could go. And this is how people could perceive me. Mm -hmm. But then at the same time, you get a bit of that like perfection paralysis stuff. And it's like, you're probably never going to, 
do it if you think about it too hard. So for me, I'm just like a go for it person. It's like, if I want to do something, I'm just going to go for it. If I want to start a label that is primarily music that I don't play in my DJ sets, but I love it. To be honest, I don't know if that's been bad or good. I'm sure that you could argue it either way. But all I know is that, like I said, I genuinely love all those things that I'm doing. And I feel like if I have space for it with my energy and all that stuff, then like it'll make sense somehow. <laughs> Were you like an overachiever growing up? Um, no, I wasn't. I was really like an awkward, awkward child and teenager. I was not an overachiever. I was a bad student. The traditional school model like doesn't work for me. I was so bad in school, like all through high school. But when I went to university, which it took me a long time to go back to university. But when I went to university, I was like thriving because it's just a different way of learning, a different model, different deliverables, all that stuff, you know? So I wouldn't even say now that I'm like an overachiever per se. I mean, I'm sure some people would look at me and think that because I'm like always doing the most. <laughs> but I don't do all those things to necessarily achieve. I do it because I have a passion for it and an interest in it. And like, I legitimately just want to make the most out of like every day. Mm -hmm. I'll jump into it. ISO radio. Like when you said you're yes. starting a platform, like I would even know what even like to begin. Like give us like the A to Z on that. I think that's beyond impressive. Thank you. As I've already touched on, like I've always loved radio. Even before I was a DJ, I thought that was really cool medium. I just like the idea of having a platform for expression that's not tied to any like real metrics of any kind. I don't care if 5,000 people are listening or five. That time that the DJ or host or whoever has in that space, it's all about you and doing whatever you want to do with that time. So I was always really inspired by like, you know, community radio and college radio. College radio, I always have listened to and loved, but it's a bit of like a weird world to like crack. It's like, you don't really know. I don't know if this is the case like that you guys find, but up here for sure, it's like, how do you even get into it? You have to like volunteer at the station for like a hundred X hours before you can maybe even like get a chance at having a show. And like, it just was like this weird, like, Fort Knox and I was like so I was always inspired by community radio and then obviously with the internet it's opened things up even more I started really like following a lot of the radio stations in London like I said I have family in the UK and followed the music scene there and I was listening to like Rinse and you know NTS and stations like this and I was just really like inspired by how it was just like a platform for musical expression. You could play whatever you wanted. You could play cuss words. You could do whatever you wanted with that time. I thought that was like super cool and inspiring. And you weren't trying to like meet any quota or like play X songs or anything like that. So followed radio for a long time. And then when I moved to Toronto in 2015, a few months after I got here, I got a radio show on a community station here that's no longer around called TRP. I just... Loved it. Had so much fun. And it was like such an important kind of like thing for me coming to a new city. It sort of introduced me to a lot of people, gave me like a community to be part of, improved my DJ skills like tenfold, honestly. Allowed me to like use different equipment that I didn't have access to. I didn't have CDJs back then. Got to learn how to use those. Got to learn how to DJ with no laptop, just straight flash drives playing like that way. 
and then also the like producing and planning a show and like having guests and stuff like that it kind of like sharpened all those skills as well and so had nothing but like great experience with you know radio for myself as a dj and then trp shut down in 2016 when that happened i it was such a blow to like the local scene like it was so devastating it was devastating obviously because a lot of the djs and hosts had lost that force in our lives that i just spoke about but it closed down because of like the increasing rent prices essentially and that's like a whole nother discussion about like the challenges of being a creative in a big city that i'm sure i know you guys know about oh we we, we write the book baby <laughs> so i think it was just devastating in that sense too because it really felt like it was like just indicative of this struggle that was happening ever since then i was like you know it'd be great to have something like that again one day but like you said, it's such an undertaking. You're like, where do I even start to like make that like happen? But I always thought about it. And then in 2018, in uh, August, Frieza and I went to London for a month. We went for a whole month. It was amazing. Such a like inspiring, fun trip. And while we were there, we did a bunch of radio. We did all the like online radio, like represent. We did rinse. We did a small one called Pyro that was probably one of the coolest radio stations I've ever been to it was like in this big apartment block like the bottom of it was like a community center and then the apartments above were like social housing and it was in there and it's just like this tiny room like no lie like the size of this room and that's the radio station the show we did there was sick and it just kind of showed me that like it is a big undertaking but like also you don't need a lot to like make a big impact we got home from that trip and I was like, let's just start looking for a space. Like that's the first thing, you know, like who knows? And in your head, again, you can do that thing that we talk about. Like you can tell yourself all the reasons why it's not going to work or tell yourself it's too expensive or tell yourself I'm never going to be able to afford it. But I think, and just till you start like looking, you're never going to know. So we started looking around. I was calling like listings, so much crazy shit that was way too expensive. But I was also telling people, you know, like what I had in mind. And I think that that is also one of the key things that holds people back sometimes is they like hold on to their ideas. I think you have to hold on to your ideas to an extent so that people don't steal them. But you also have to be vocal about what you want. Otherwise, how the hell is anyone going to know what you want? So I was telling people, I didn't tell everyone my whole plan. I just said, hey, I'm looking for a space. It's going to be music related. So it, we need to be able to play music in there, essentially. I have like all kinds of friends and all kinds of some of them are creative some of them are like hardcore in the corporate world so i was speaking to all different ones and especially and i said to them you know maybe you don't have something but if you know someone like do you know someone who owns properties that would be a good <laughs> place to start you know what i mean like that was about three four months of like looking around and then we went to see a space that was in a chinese shopping mall it was so fucking cool it would have been awesome it was like right beside this dentist office. It would have been a vibe like going in there, you know, to do radio. It's a really small space and um, we we were ready to get it. Like, I think the last thing we had to do was get like a bank draft for the deposit. And then a friend of mine called me up. She called me late, like late at night, like 11 o'clock. She was one of the friends who I'd been talking about helping find something. And she's like, hey, did you get the deposit for that space yet? And I said, not yet. And she's like, well, I think I have something for you guys that's like a really good situation. And like, could you come tomorrow at like eight in the morning? And I was like, okay. And like, I could just tell like in her voice that she was excited. 
we go to meet her in the morning and essentially she was doing some work with this chain of coffee shops in Toronto called Boxcar Social. I definitely want to shout them out. Love you, Boxcar. The chain is owned by these like three or four friends, like young guys, and they've done amazing for themselves, have like a great business. And uh, she's doing work with them, sort of doing some like programming stuff, like having like musicians come into their coffee shops and stuff like that. We met her at the shop and she's like, the space is above this coffee shop. So we went and looked at it and it was just like a room, like a nice room, but like pretty empty, you know, a couple chairs. And I'm like, well, what is this room? And she's like, well, it's like a meeting room like that they use for meetings like a couple times a month for like two hours a month, literally. The deal was like we could have the space for like very affordable rent if they could still use it for their meetings for two hours a month. Uh-huh. So is it any moments where like, oh, hey, uh, don't, it's our investors. The uh, CDJ 3000s are in the way. Just move those <laughs> over. Just, uh, have, you don't mind cuss words, right? Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like we met with the owners and they were super cool. Like, I don't think they really understood what we were doing. I think they were just like, cool, you guys are like doing something that's community based and has to do with music and we're down. You know, we got the space in October of 2018. I had a little bit of money saved that I wanted to like put into some kind of like creative or community project. We took a couple months to like buy our gear. We did everything like on the cheap, you know, we got everything used. We bought all of our gear from a music store that is actually just closed, which is so sad. It's called Moog Audio. And it's like one of the kind of like last standing like music stores in the city, really. Music gear stores, like not record. Yeah, we bought a bunch of gear from them that was part of their like rental stock. And then we opened in January of 2019. You know, I did all the programming. I did all the scheduling. We launched with like 35 shows. So 35 resident DJs. Their show slots are either like every other week or once a month. And now we have like 40, I think we have almost 50 shows. Still pretty much like me and Frieza doing like almost everything. And there's a lot that has to happen. We had a team of volunteers who would help us like run the actual space when it was open. Yeah, so I mostly do all the like scheduling, liaising with all the different hosts. And then I do a lot of our like partnership stuff, like figuring out how we're going to like make money. And then Frieza does a lot of the operations, manages our volunteers and makes sure the space is all good and make Uh sure everything sounds great. This might be a dumb question, but like, okay, so you have the space, you have the equipment and then like, so how do I broadcast all the DJ? Too? Yeah. Okay. okay. So that was like a definitely a many hours spent on Reddit, <laughs> like figuring out like, how does that actually work? Like, how does a stream get to, and again, I think it's one of those things that we kind of take it for granted. I could just open up my Apple music and turn on like Beats One Radio and it's just happening. But like yeah. what actually has to happen to that? So yeah, it was just a lot of researching, reading on Reddit And then figuring out like, so you basically, you like pay for a server of some kind, a broadcast server. There's like different ways you can do it. You can set up your own, which we we thought about doing, but then we just thought it was like more efficient to just pay for one. So we pay for a broadcast server. I think it's like 60 bucks a month or something like that. And with that, you get like, you know, you can have up to like 5,000 listeners at a time and X number of bandwidth. And so we pay for that. And then we got the site made. I knew a developer who I really liked his style. He has a very like avant-garde design style. And I was just like, I think this works for what we're trying to do. His style too is very like rooted in like internet culture, 
which I think is something that we liked as well. And so, yeah, he did the site for us for like a deal because he loved the project. We paid for that initial site build. And then after that happened, they approached us, like the guy who we hired to do the site, him and his partner kind of came back to us and they were like, listen, we love this project. We think we can help you. We think we can like build certain things for you. And they're like, but we know that this doesn't really make money. So how about we just become partners on this project and then we can do the dev side and then you guys can do everything else. So that's what we've been doing. So there's technically like four of us who run ISO. Mackenzie and Nadim are our creative and development side. And then me and Frieza are doing everything else. Wow. So if you had to kind of like summarize like the sound of ISO radio. It's everything you don't hear on the FM dial. Anything that we feel doesn't have representation on mainstream media platforms, we're into it. We have everything. Like we have techno, drum and bass, jungle, Afrobeats, world music, club music, hip hop, but not like mainstream hip hop. We have talk shows. We have a sex show. We have a show that is two stand-up comedians and two therapists talking to each other about mental health. It's crazy. Oh my God, this is amazing. I love it. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff we're into. And you have Big Jack, Big Jack's playing gospel and funk. We have Big Jacks. He does a yeah. He has a weekly gospel show with us, which <laughs> I love. Crazy, dude. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, and I mean, it's just like that's what it's supposed to be, though. You know, like where else is Big Jacks? He does amazing mixes, and he has the Daily Bread series, which is how I became a fan of his gospel selections. But like, he's not gonna go and like do a gospel gig. I mean, he might, but like, pretty few and far between. So for me, that's kind of what the essence of ISO is. It's like. How do we provide a platform for people to express what they want to do? It's been amazing. It's been so hard. And I still, to this day, like, I don't know how much longer I can do this, just how much work it is. It's so much work and it's like, it's thankless work and people don't really know how much work does go into it. But at the same time, like, I know that the intentions behind it are pure I just think back to that experience I had doing radio and how it helped me so much. And I'm like, the thought that I could assist someone else and give them that same experience and that same growth is like really what keeps me going. But it's hard. It's like, it doesn't make money. I'm pretty resourceful. I figured out ways to like do partnerships and stuff that made sense. But like a lot of our partnerships with brands were all based around like events. So for instance, like when Red Bull did their music festival here last fall, we did a bunch of programming around the festival. We had like the artists who were performing come on and do like guest mixes. We went down to one of the events of the festival and broadcast live like on site there, things like that. And that's how we got paid. Those kinds of opportunities are not going to be happening for a while. The whole business model is kind of like flipped upside down. Yeah. Well, I, I want to ask, I've always heard of like the Canadian government giving grants to artists. Mm -hmm. What kind of money systems does an artist get? So we do have a grant system. There's money to be made for sure or money to be had through that system, but it's like very convoluted. It's not set up for people to succeed, you know, like it's actually the easiest thing to get money for is like if you're an artist and you're like, hey, I want to make an album and this is what it's going to cost me to do it. Da, 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 fill out the thing. Like that's the easiest one to probably get approved for. An artist making an album. 
And then I would say the next easiest thing to get approved for is like, if you want to put on some kind of like showcase, like if I'm like, I want to put on next R and B stars of Toronto showcase, and I'm going to have these five people perform something like that is very like easy to digest for the grant system. They're like, cool, great idea. Here's your money. If you're trying to do anything that's a little bit outside of what people understand, like a radio station like us, I just don't think they get it. They don't understand. They're like, oh, it's not a performance. Like, what is it? <laughs> sure. What kind of numbers are we talking about in terms of the album and the showcase? Are we big money or, or modest It money could or be. I mean, it could be like there's some whole organizations who pay for everything off grant money, including physical spaces. Like, so I sat on the jury for like a bunch of grants. So you really get to like see the ins and outs of those things. But in terms of artists, like you can get between like two and 50,000 for like a single project. Sign me up. Dude. <laughs> I'll take two to $50,000 to make an album or throw a party and what Yeah. Yeah, like I the low end, you know, a couple thousand dollars for mixing and mastering. Uh -huh. And then it goes up and up depending on what your expenses are. But another big flaw of the grant system is that like people like the big stars in Toronto and their collectives, they get them too. Oh, uh, I see what it is. So, yeah. You know, OVO and XO, they get grants as well, which like, it's hard. I can see both sides. I can see both sides because on one hand, what they do for the city is like amazing. What they've done for Toronto on a global awareness scale is amazing. Yeah, it's like tourism. Someone's exactly. Like, like they've brought millions of dollars. In. It's kind of like when BTS, what they've done for South Korea. Like exactly. so many people now, it's very, you can scale it. But to that point, it's almost like you've been reading, I don't know if you read the news that all these churches and huge corporations are now getting the money that was supposed to go to like people unemployed, it's like, wait, 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 you don't need this money at all. So I see, yeah, and to your point, I see the, the pros and cons of it all. So yeah. So I mean, I'm super thankful for the grant system. I've applied for three grants now for the radio station that we, we didn't get any of them. <laughs> it's crazy, though, too, because when you apply for these grants, when they write you back and tell you you didn't get it, they tell you who your jury was. So you can go and like, look these people up, which I do because I'm like, yeah, I love petty. seeing. Yeah. yeah, I'm petty like that. And it's like, I can just tell, you know, these people are very accomplished in their own world, you know, but I can tell I'm like, you don't understand what it is we're doing. If I could meet with you and talk to you face to face, you would probably get it and be super down for us. You know, like these are people who are in the like world of like indie rock or whatever. And it's like, you don't care about Big Jack's doing a fucking gospel show and what that means to our community, what that means to the black community. You know what I mean? Like you don't get that. It's frustrating, but like, I don't know, you just got to keep going and that's it. We keep going somehow. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Like you want somebody of the culture to kind of like dictate what's happening to the culture. And I've seen it. Like you go to these Grammy parties and you see the committee and it's like, yeah, these people are the wackest people ever, but yet they're in power. And so does that make you want to be more in the, in the system, so to speak about all this? You know, I think that like, that is exactly it. Like that's the reason why I'm doing all these things I'm doing. Cause I'm trying to like make that meaningful change that outlasts me in my career. I say this so much to Frieza. I'm like, I wish I was more of a selfish person. Like I'd probably be further along in my DJ career right now, but that's not me. I'm a big sister. So I have three younger siblings. And I think that that just like has really informed how I am. Like I'm always just trying to like, 
think about how can I make this better for like the person that comes after me for better or worse? I don't know. Hopefully yeah, no, better. for better, for sure. I mean, like they said, you're putting on 40 to 50 people to give them a platform, you know, and mm-hmm. the fact that you don't forget about mentorship, which is something we always talk about on the podcast is asking where you mentored. And some people, you know, some people were like, I didn't get mentored at all. So I know how it feels not to have that or the opposite. I've been mentored. So I want to give back and stuff like that. It does explain yeah. why you're so you run in so many lanes. And now you have a label with your partner, Bear Selection. Yes. Which you kind of talked about. It's like, I didn't even play this music, but you did anyways. Like, I, lo- yeah. I love that, by the way. That, that was like such like, whoa, that's a bold bit. <laughs> Tell me more about Bear Selection. Yeah. Bear Selection was just built out of the, you know, idea that me and Frieza were kind of like, a perfect match like in our personalities they really complement each other our skill sets really complement each other i just was like yo we're doing these kinds of things already why not let's just like make it official and create something that we can platform and amplify artists and music that we love and so frieza had had the idea to do this label for a while he's like amazing he is like by far one of the most like hardest working most talented people. I think the only thing that holds Frieza back is that like sometimes he's a little bit like it's hard for him to get started on something, you know? He can't really like motivate to like throw the first pitch or whatever. So I was like, I could kind of see like, hey, maybe I just need to like kick him in the ass a little bit and like get this going. Yeah, that's what Bear Selection is. It's a label. We call it a label because we do, you know, develop and release music under that umbrella. But we do other things under that label too. We've done events and things like that. Yeah, we focus on mostly UK underground genres, garage, grime, UK funky, some kind of like rap stuff. Yeah, we've been doing that for two years now. We just had our seventh release. We release mostly EPs of like, you know, two to four songs. And it's all in the very like left field. 130 to 160 bpm like, i was gonna you know, say like yeah footworky yeah yeah it's this kind of hybrid kind of what you're saying all the things that is part of the toronto sound it's hip-hop it's also techno it's also garage instead of garage yeah. I, I <laughs> but yeah <laughs> but i think it has me wondering and this is also goes for like the, for the radio show and a label how do you guys go about like drawing listeners and mm. marketing both things like what are some kind of bullet point uh, things you do With the radio, it's a little bit more challenging because the way that I see the radio station is like a marketplace, okay? So me and Frieza have built the marketplace. We've built the structure. We make sure that the utilities are always on. We can tell people I've come to this marketplace. The individual shows are kind of like the stalls in the marketplace. And we really have to rely a lot on our like hosts and DJs to make sure they have that quality product that's going to keep people coming back. You know, if there's going like really deep with this analogy, but <laughs> let's say there's there's one stall that is like really lit, it will ideally bring in more people to that like whole place, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like a collective effort and I can only do so much in terms of like marketing the actual station. It's like listeners have to really gravitate towards certain shows for this to really work i'm not saying that none of our hosts like care about what they're doing they all do you know like it's an it's a lot of effort to put into like planning producing and performing a show but i think that's the one thing that's kind of like 
yeah, the biggest challenge is just like, how do you attract people to this thing? Like I can do a million things to get people to know what ISO is, but you're kind of relying on them to sort of create some connection with one of the shows or a couple of the shows ideally in order to keep coming back and keep listening. That's kind of challenging. I mean, in terms of the label, having a label is a really interesting thing. It's like, again, not a money-making endeavor, but there's like certain aspects of it that we haven't even really like dived into yet. Like even the whole like placing songs, for instance, in like movies, video games, and TV shows is like a huge world that I know is there and it's on my radar, but just like haven't even tapped into yet. So I think that that's going to be something that is going to become an arm of our label that will really help us to like actually make more money and gain more revenue because you're just like not going to make that much money like selling releases, you know, especially when it's like super like left field stuff that we like to do. It's just never going to be like a worldwide hit. We actually did have one song on our label by an artist named Manga that became sort of like a cult hit in England. It was kind of interesting. It was on like BBC's like top song of the summer list, like all this stuff. And I think it has like, I don't know, 300,000 plays or something like that on Spotify, like nothing crazy. But it was like, that was the first taste of something where I was like, whoa, this is what it's like to have people like love something that we did. This is sick. You know, because you're talking about the value of something, Mm. uh, like the value that you got from your radio show and the value that other people are going to get showcasing and focusing their music. But also I hear talk about like making money. Uh, It's a very hard thing to kind of like juggle between do I go by the numbers and metrics or do I go by the emotional fulfillment and the reward? You know, I think that's always Mm going to be a struggle that artists have. So in a perfect world, it's going to be a combination for both, I'm going to guess. Yeah, like, again, pre-COVID days, I had kind of struck a good balance between finding something that I enjoyed that was also like financially lucrative, which is like, you know, I do a lot of like corporate style DJing and DJing for brands. Like if you've seen my website, which I think you have, like I've DJed for like every big brand that you possibly could. And a lot of those are repeat clients. So I found a good balance between like, okay, cool. I'm doing this thing that's, you know, making good money that I'm enjoying and loving. And then I can kind of work on all my passion projects and not ever really have to like worry about that. I think you got to have both. Like as much as money is frustrating, like it's a reality, you know, it, it allows us certain freedoms to do certain things. So I think I'm a business conscious person. Like I'm always like interested in that. Like what's the sustainability of this? Like how is this going to make money? Cause that's an unfortunate reality, but I don't know what's going to happen after this. I mean, I have no idea. Like it's kind of just this whole situation is really just like flipped everything on its head a bit. Yeah. You know, what are some things that slipped out of your fingers with COVID and the quarantine? Oh man, so much stuff. (laughs) Like I had like pretty much my whole spring and summer like planned out. I was supposed to be traveling a lot. I was supposed to be coming down to California, New York, you know, a lot of like a couple festivals up here. Yeah. All that is no longer. And then obviously like um, all of my residencies, there's one bar in Toronto called Apartment 200, which I've literally been playing at since I moved here. It's like my spot, you know, playing there every other week for like the last five years. I hope that they're able to open again, but I honestly don't know. Like the, the spot that they're in is like the rent there must be sky high. And like, how long can you go not open? 
before you like literally just can't do it anymore. So, you know, I think about those things a lot and like, I feel like the reason why it was so kind of like devastating when all this started going down was obviously losing all those things I just talked about, but it also felt like I had been working towards like something in this city specifically, like coming here and working towards something and getting my career to like a point that I was cool with it. And then it just felt like the rug came out from under me, you know, even just like kind of nights that I was doing, like you said, like, you got it to the point where you didn't need the Katy Perry remix anymore. Like I felt like I was really there. <laughs> I was like, I'm there. And now that was hard. Like the first few weeks was like devastating when I was getting all those emails, like, yeah. you know, an yeah. email every day being like, this is canceled. This is postponed. This is that. It was like dark times for the first like month, but you know, we move like you got to like move on. Life won't always go your way, but it always goes on. That's what I always say. That's my famous saying. This isn't even on some DJ shit. This is on some life shit. You know, when you go through something challenging, the quicker you can let go of like the hope that you had or the expectation that you had that your life would be a certain way, the better off you're going to be, you know? Acceptance is like the biggest thing. Accept it, move on, you know? And and know that like, I, I had to wake up every morning and tell myself in the mirror, Josephine, you are a smart, creative, resourceful, and dynamic person and you will get through this you know <laughs> yeah no that that's real I, I think a reason why i asked that because the response for anybody not just the dj anybody listening anybody in the street like what did you lose with this and some mm-hmm. people a lot of people are gonna like break it down like you know i've never even thought about as much as like we're in the same fight you being a dj making a living i never thought about having something in motion like you just said being paused i just always thought like i'm at this level and you know long as like all these big corporate gigs and these big weddings are coming up yeah that got yanked from me and every response is always fascinating to me and it's always you know it makes me understand this more and more and maybe not put a meeting but kind of tie it all together yeah and i think everyone's experience has been different too you know like honestly frieza i feel like he's kind of glowed up during this a little bit he like got this uh part-time job like early in covid days a little frieza background he's obviously dj producer engineer he owns a studio which is another separate business to all the stuff that we do called genesis sound Uh, oh my god um, (laughs) and you know his stuff all stopped like studio stopped sure and so he had to get a part-time job but he's been killing it at this part-time job he like paid off his like credit card he like bought a new car like he's like you know, doing the damn thing. And then now the studio's like opened up again and he's like busy again. So I'm like, okay. Is he selling mask and hand sanitizer? What the fuck, dude? Where is he? Like it's like a courier job. Okay. So, so like delivering mask and very delivery hand much. sanitizer. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, get it, man. So yeah. I love it. So everyone's experience is different. And I think that sure. um, you know, I think that we're all still like this is not over, as we already said. Like Hell we're all still no. working through this. For me, something I've been like thinking on lately a lot is like I've been hanging out and working in nightclubs since I was 16 years old that is like been the center of my social life has been parties and events for as long as I can remember and I liked it that way I liked it on the weekends knowing that I could go out and see a bunch of people that I wanted to see all in one place and then you know that was done and now I'm kind of like how do I have a social life again how do I see all these people that I genuinely want to see without like a burning out B still having time for myself see like what the fuck are we even going to do we can't all go like sit in the park all day long like come on 
you know? So it's like even those things that like, I don't have the answer to that right now. I don't know what that is, but I need to figure it out at some point. Otherwise I can't just be a hermit in my house all day. So not to be a hermit, you jumped on Twitch. Twitch. <laughs> the T word. I was that had to ask, had to ask. Yeah. I mean, yo, <laughs> I trust me. What was your learning curve with like OBS and streaming and all that stuff? Like, let's start the technical learning curve. So because we run a radio station, I was a little bit more versed, you know, like I kind of got it a little bit. I understood that my you know, audio had to travel out of my DJ equipment into a computer somehow. You know what I mean? Like I got that part of it. I had an interface already at home. Like these little things that I, I kind of had a slight leg up. But with all that being said, definitely hours and hours on Reddit, like figuring out how to like, you know, I was like, I need my computer to like DJ with. How can I like have a second computer? Okay, now I'm going to like buy this computer how do I get this camera? Like I, my whole like setup is completely hacked <laughs> and it's like, I had an old DSLR camera that I bought in university that I needed for a photojournalism class. And I just, I've kept it for so long. It's so old. It's like from 2010 or something like that. Even just like figuring out how to get that camera to like act as a webcam was like hours just picking around trying to figure it out, you know? And like, and there's just so many variables in streaming, as you guys know. Yeah, it's been a journey for sure. And I think that I know a lot of people who they just get frustrated by that and they're like, fuck this, I'm not doing it. But I'm like super determined to always figure something out. I'm also like a bit of a gear like nerd. Like I like I love gear and I kind of like figuring that stuff out. So it's sort of satisfying to me. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. John, I don't know if he's ever heard me, but I'll like literally yell goddamn motherfucker when i can't get a certain thing going <laughs> or i'll be my text i'm pretty polite on text but then when i get short like i'm good i'm fine i got this you know you can kind of <laughs> smell it but yeah but when you do overcome and i'd say just to kind of like hang in there my fellow obs djs yes you know, hang in there it. and when it all when all the pieces lay out together and you're on that motherfucker streaming like you'll feel even better but you yes. know i asked about the technological curve equipment curve but was there a, an emotional like a personality curve you had to kind of over you know kind of dust off or shake off yeah like i'm i mean i'm a pretty social person i like to talk i'm a talker you guys probably tell um so that part always felt natural to me especially i come from doing radio which is like you know playing songs and talking about them so that part wasn't um too hard to get over but when I first started, especially when you first start and, you know, there's like just a handful of people watching and you're kind of like, why am I doing this? And just like talking into a screen, like felt really like weird and not cool. Like I got into DJing because I just love the energy and like the vibes and like that stuff. And that stuff for me was like really missing at first with the whole like streaming thing. But after every stream, I felt like I was learning so much. Every single stream, I learned something. Every single stream, at least one person was like, yo, this made my day or like this was so dope. I just tried to hold on to those like little wins and just try to keep building and still building and still learning. You know what I mean? Like I feel every single stream now is like different and like something new pops up or I learn something. And I think that's been really motivating. I've been really thankful to have that outlet during this time. Yeah, I think... You're somebody that's very like 
akin to like the emotional reward what you're talking about with twitch and the community radio and things like that but also to give yourself some credit you have like a good amount of followers you have a good amount of people engaged every night watching and then there's the chat aspect which is mad popping which you can be found in um, streams that have a lot of followers or different numbers is there a mixture is a singular thing for you that define twitch success if that's that's even a thing like what the kind of the check marks you're like okay we did Mm. our work today like what are the things in terms of twitch you know, what I love about Twitch, obviously, is like, I love everything community. I love that it promotes a community sort of like aspect to it. I love the like gifting culture on Twitch. I think that's so beautiful. Like gifting subs to people is just like such an interesting way to show support for someone. You know, if I love John's channel and I gift you a sub to his channel, it's like that helps him. But it also gives you something. I just love that, you know, there's this like analogy, it's used a lot in retail, that like 20% of your customers are responsible for 80% of your profit. And you know, there's a few different like ways that that's communicated, you know, like I've heard some people say, you can either find a 1000 people to spend $100 a year on you, or you can find 100 people to spend $1,000 a year on you. And it's like you end up with the same amount of money but what was that relationship you made with those hundred people to get that hundred thousand you know and so for me that's just like something that twitch i don't care if i have a hundred thousand people watching i would way rather have a hundred people who watch every night and who are like super invested in me and down to spend seven dollars a month on me I think that's so dope. That buy-in is that's all I got to do to enjoy something that I fuck with. Like to watch you and also John and like Marvel and we could go on and on all the DJs that we love. But like five bucks is nothing. Right. And so I love that. You know, and even early on, like in the Twitch days, before I'd even reached affiliate status, before I could even charge for subs, a couple people like sent me money to my PayPal. They sent me like 20 bucks or whatever. And they're just like, yo, I really like thought your stream was dope today. And I was just like so blown away by that. Like that $20 that person just sent me meant more than $2,000 I made at a corporate gig. Someone took the time to like send you that money from their bank account and write you a little note and let you know what that meant to them, you know? So I just thought that was really beautiful and it definitely motivated me. And you know, the being able to earn money again is motivating as well. Yeah, it's weird. It's like, I think when I invoiced somebody like last month, I was like, invoice, it's like that meme. Oh, invoice, I haven't heard that name in years. It felt like, (laughs) I look at the last date of like February, like, (laughs) Right, it feels good. And I'm like, you know, it's not all about money. Like, obviously we do what we do because we love it. But like, I think that getting paid for something is just like a really tangible way to be like yeah okay cool transaction completed you know like i did this i got something in return i'm doing it yeah you know i've been doing streams for guest people like you know marvel or up records just random people like cuffin but i'm still trying to figure out and uh, i got a new laptop myself so i'm gonna probably be streaming a lot more um, regularly so i got some questions hit me what are bits bits think of it as like a digital currency it's like twitch's digital currency almost so when you buy bits you pay like a little bit of a premium on them obviously that's how like the platform makes its money but then when you like send bits to a streamer it's essentially like you're you're sending them like a tip or sending them money and so it's one cent for every bit so if it's like a hundred bits that's like a dollar yeah i don't know exactly what you would pay for that 
but the bits and shit like adds up yo it really adds up i remember being like one cent this is not going to be anything but it adds up people are doing like 500 bits here that's like five bucks 100 here 200 here 300 here 400 there 100 here like it really adds up so it's blessed it's funny like every time the chat is like going off in my stream and people are like sending me bits it reminds me of like people just like making it rain on me you know i'm like ooh, i'm killing it (laughs) <laughs> yeah okay all right it's so that's funny. basically bits are like digital currency i can go and i go into my channel like oh, i want to buy some bits in my account give them yes. to you give them to john whatever and then like boom okay yeah you know on my account i was given like affiliate status so i can yeah. charge people for a subscription now or exactly yeah you can charge people to subscribe to your channel for that seven dollars a month we talked about or sorry i keep saying seven because it's canadian it's five dollars a month for you guys and then from that you get 50 percent of that times a hundred people you're talking about or whatever dropping that money on the reg like yeah, yeah it adds up okay plus bits and then hype train that just mm-hmm. looks it looks fuck. i actually i accidentally did one on john's stream and i was like what am i doing i felt like such like an <laughs> like old I'm man on the train. yeah yeah what is a hype so, train what is all that hype it looks train. great yeah yeah it's it's super cute it's like the best basically the hype train gets triggered when there's a lot of like subbing bits throwing like any show of support, the hype train pops off. And I think that you can set it to different like levels of difficulty. But let's say the base level is like three subs, let's say. Three subscribers. As soon as the three happen, the hype train will be triggered. And then you can get it to like level five is the highest level you can get. It's interesting seeing how Twitch started as a gaming platform. So a lot of the stuff that's built into the user experience is taken from the world of gaming. That's why the word is literally gamification. That's what it's called when you do that within a platform. And that's what that is. It's just like another form of gamification. But so when the hype train's going, people will be like subscribing your channel, doing bits, like getting all crazy. It's like fun. They say your threshold for a one level hype train is three. That means mm-hmm. 15 people have subbed and it's like confetti and you've won the Super Bowl and all that. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You want to get to level five. That's what you're aiming for. Yeah. I've had a couple level fives. You know, it's a good feeling. Look it's like, you. all right. Wow. Okay. All right. Level five. Yeah. But any other little things I should be uh, keeping my eyes open for? I mean, I personally think like what I love to see is just like someone doing something unique with their channel you know what i mean and that doesn't mean you have to be some fucking literal stand-up comedian like i look at what four color zach does on his stream it's like amazing it's like comedy like great djing crazy production value and it's like i could never do that sure (laughs) but that's zach's thing and he's killing it you know what i mean and then i watch someone like flip out who like again i could never do what flip out does he does these great 45 sets. I love watching them. That's his thing. You know what I mean? And yells at and people then, for being stupid. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Shout out Flip Out. I love that dude. That's my guy. So great. He's yeah. so funny. I was like standing him so hard on my stream last night because I was just like, Flip Out, you're dope. I just like, I appreciate him. And like, I look at people like him who've had such a long career. And I'm like, you know what, Flip? Yell at everyone all you want. Like what you say at this point is like completely true. <laughs> stank palmer twitch is like another thing where it's like there's not even a person flailing around in the camera you know what i mean it's just like a static image and great music and that's a thing too and i think that's something that i keep saying to like 
other DJs who want to get into streaming. It's like, just because I do it a certain way, it doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Like, you don't even have to show your face if you don't want. Like, Complexion doesn't show his face. Yeah. And his is, like, so amazing. It's, like, one of the best Twitch streams. Yeah. I asked him, like, oh, do you not show your face for, like, Mystique? He goes, no, it's just where my laptop and where it's set up. I just couldn't fit a camera. So I was like, oh, okay. Well, I thought this was some ill shit, but. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like seeing people do, you know, yeah, something unique with it and something that speaks to their personality and their taste, you know, like just show what you like. Yeah. And yeah. That's it. Yeah. A friend of ours, she said that, you know, there's five things that could spell out success for you in Twitch. And, you know, she was, I have in my notes, it was being funny, good visually attractive and genuine. But I think the point you're saying, and I think this is the point I've always found on Twitch or just anything creative, is that genuine spirit like coming through. And, yeah. you know, people want to connect more than ever now, obviously, because pre-COVID shit was wild. During COVID shit is even wilder if that's even possible. Mm -hmm. So I think we're looking for an honesty and a truth that is very hard to find. So it's being genuine. So I think that is yeah. why, you know, people that I'm a fan of, that's the first thing I feel. And, you know, part of that comes to the chat, which is also very genuine. There's a community there, which I know you mm -hmm. have as well. You definitely connect with people. And I feel that's sometimes the reason why I even like log on and check, oh, I want to connect with people. I feel a little bored or lonely. Let me jump in the chat and see what's popping with people. So yeah, it's definitely like a vibe in there. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, when yeah. like, you know, you're in a stream with a bunch of people and the music's going and everyone's like chatting, like it's fun. And it's like, you feel like you're part of some experience. Sure. You know, you're sharing in an experience. That's like the magic of like music, DJ nights, parties, concerts. It's like everyone is sharing in some experience. And like, yes, this weird one that we're having with a keyboard and like a screen is like kind of strange, but like it's what we got right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. I've literally told John like, oh, who's streaming tonight? As opposed, Is it kind of like, oh, what parties are popping tonight? Like, oh, yeah. uh, Boogie Brown is streaming tonight. I'm like, oh shit, I'll see you in the chat, man. And I'll just go to my room and yeah. hear it. It's, it's a lot like, you know, oh, I'll see you at the club. I'll, I'll see you there, through. yeah. Yeah, or like, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pop over to so-and-so's chat, say what up, and like, peace out. And there's yeah. like, just like in clubs, I'm going to stop by on early side. So Totally. But even crazier is that we get to like, you know, see these people from places we might never normally go to. Like, I think it's so sick that I can go and watch Shortcut every night. I can watch DJ Friends and DJ every night. I can watch Flip Out play 45s. I can watch Boogie Brown play at all Bay Area set. I can watch Get Live in New York every day. Like, I think that's so cool. And like me as like a fan of music and a fan of DJing, that has been like the biggest silver lining in all of this. Because it's just like, I love that shit. I love going to other cities and seeing what's going on down there. And now I get a little bit of that every day. True. Yeah. I forgot about that. But that was one of the first things I was really hyped about. I was like, oh, all these DJ dudes, these are homies or people that I've come up with. I can now see them DJ. And like, if they would come to my city, the chances of me working that night at a different party is like, oh, I, I couldn't see you or I'm not around. But yeah, you know what you're talking about? All those like the old team mixes and all these like kind of the JC, like, oh, I could finally see them. It, it kind of like gives you this rush of like that fandom that I used to have. Yeah. Like, like, oh, I'm so stoked. I get to see cut corners now and spider tech or, or what have you. So yeah, definitely. the DJ fan in me is definitely kind of like propped up and, and whatnot. Is there like an ideal way you would like people, like a mind state? you'd want people to have when they're going to tune into your uh, Twitch stream? I'm streaming like two or three times a week now. So I'm kind of trying to create like 
a specific sort of thing on certain nights. Like Monday nights is one that I recently started doing. I feel like that one's going to be more like my friend said to me the other day, they're like, it feels like industry night on Twitch because <laughs> it's like fewer people are streaming, more DJs are kind of watching. And so the last few weeks have been like really cool because it's like kind of a more chill vibe, like a lot more discussion, a lot more like talking. Yeah, I noticed it was very, not to stop you, but you talked a lot. And I don't mean it in a bad way, but you were like checking your phone, you're in the chat. I felt more communal, even more mm -hmm. so. I think your streams are a good balance, like a 70-30, 70% music, 30% chatter. This mm -hmm. is like a 60-40 or 50-50, which is like dope. Like we're all kind of hanging out. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm going for like 50-50 on Mondays, to be honest. Like I really just want that to be more of like a discussion, hanging out thing. Even last night, like impromptu in the middle of the stream, I like, you know, showed a video. Like I just that, doing yeah. things like, yeah, <laughs> so weird. I feel like Mondays is going to be the more like more casual stream. And then I do like a Wednesday, like midday. And that one's really a wild card. It goes both ways. Sometimes it's like chill. And then sometimes it's all of a sudden like a party. I've been doing like the odd Friday stream. And Fridays is really like the turn up day. Yeah. Friday, it's like I'll do Friday at, um, you know, like 4 or 5 p.m. Eastern. So it's kind of like the start of the weekend kind of vibe. And that one's like party. So yeah, I'm kind of trying to do some different things. Similarly to my like regular life, I want to showcase all these different sides of me that I have, you know? I love playing all the kinds of music. I love chill music. I love hype music. I love underground music. I love pop music. I love so many different kinds. So I want to definitely show all those sides of myself. I don't want to be like very one-dimensional on Twitch. Yeah, because that's just not who you are. No diss anybody, but some people, they're just going to play like hip-hop. That's fine. Yeah, they're like a specialist, you know, and that's great too. Yeah, like a friend of mine, Ant One, did like an all Griselda DJ set. And I was like, yo, like an all rap set, like non-club rap. Like, this is great. This is, we were, I was turned in and I loved it. But also last night, you were playing a bunch of Afrobeats, Toronto stuff. Like, you played a remix by a guy from the UK that you said is your favorite dude. Um, oh, J5 is the producer. Yeah. Probably my favorite UK producer right now. He works a lot with Jay Huss. Oh, word. Okay. So he's kind of like really on the forefront of that like Afro swing like style. Yeah. And I, I mentioned all this because again, it showcases the side because, you know, prior to like a couple months ago, I thought you was like mostly R&B, SoundCloud and hip hop. But now you have this like whole world, like, internet, like literally global like sounds in your daily sets. And then you have mm -hmm. this whole... 5050 Mondays, which would be a good name for your show, but that's a way. good name, actually. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I'll you could send me some bits and more, you know, then I'll okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're like that ideation of that name will cost you 500 bits. Yeah, that's see, yeah, I, I learned quick, you know, I'm all like, oh, uh, you're already hustling people for bits. I love it. Thank you, thank you. So, <laughs> uh, you know, before we wrap up at the top of the conversation, we're talking about wrestlers. So, Usually at the end of every episode, you know, we talk about, you know, songs. And I ask them, what's a song that really kind of like, you know, gets you motivated for these days? Not, you know, mm -hmm. not pre-COVID, but during COVID. What would be a wrestler that gets you hyped during these times? Wow. That's a really good question. I need to go with Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Okay. So when I was younger, <laughs> when wrestling was like really popular in like the late, 90s early 2000s that's kind of like when he was like coming up i always thought he was really hilarious he had all those like hilarious things he would say like do you smell what the rock is cooking and all that stuff but you know what i love about the rock is that now he's like evolved himself into this like crazy like influencer fitness influencer dude 
an actor. Yeah, also the actor. Like, Please nope. don't overlook the acting part. <laughs> but I follow his Instagram, which is really like, it's like a motivational account. Do you follow him? You should follow him. I don't. But anyways. He's like very hilarious on the internet. Um, okay. He doesn't obviously do the same shit he used to do when he was like being the rock. Yeah. The wrestler. But like there's still like those same threads to his personality. Like he's still like a showman. He's still like super charismatic. And um, yeah, I love him. <laughs> so he though he has evolved, he's spread his wings. If I ever met The Rock, that would be like the one time that I would probably be like super starstruck. I don't really get like starstruck like that, but that would be one person I'd probably be geeking over. Yo, I think this has been a really cool thing about these podcasts is that I think it's going to be one thing. And then I get pleasantly surprised. I'm like, holy shit. Like this person is like running circles around me. I'm just like, <laughs> I'm like literally getting game personally, not just for our listeners. So thank you very much. Give us a rundown where they can find you, when they can find you. And I'm probably the easiest person to find. <laughs> I'm just JMKM on everything. J-A-Y-E-M-K-A-Y-E-M. The mm-hmm. good thing about that name is that it's always available when I need to like sign up for a new social network. So nice. I am that person on all of them. Okay. Um, I'm streaming on Twitch three times a week. TBD about what I'm doing next. I have no idea. Yeah. Who does? Yeah. This has been super cool though. I'm super like thankful that you guys had me on. And yeah, I think that, you know, this has been again, another one of those like weird silver linings of this whole thing. It's just like connecting with people like you guys and yeah, uh-huh. it's awesome. I can't wait yeah. to meet up in real life. <laughs> one day, one day. One day. And also, I'm no longer a felon, so I can visit Canada. By the way, so I was amazing. I, that, that was supposed actually. I was literally supposed to do this year. I think I was going through some old texts with Marvel or Jax, and I was like, "Oh shit, yeah, my legal shit here is clear, and I could have gone to Canada." Perfect. But anyways, you'll get up could, here. It's yeah, we'll, we'll rock. We'll figure it out. So, anyways, yeah, thank you sure. so much, and uh, shout out to Frieza Chin, and shout out to the coffee people. Will the name one more time? Yes, Boxcar Social. Shout out them. Shout out Frieza though, for real. Honestly, that's like my my person, and he. That's like, your boo. Yeah, it's my boo. And he just, he's helped me so much with my career, helped me get through all the time. He fucking helped me a lot in the early like streaming days. So like, mm-hmm. he's the best. Right on. Well, cool. <laughs> thank you so much. You're the best. And thank uh, you so much, you guys. Thank you.